0: The all the way from South East Cornwall today, you're very world. welcome. <laughs> and am I right in thinking, is it true, this this PR, or was it a PR stunt, that you live in a hut you made yourself? I don't live in it. I write in it. it. It's a three-sided open... I call it my cabin. It's kind of a shed. It's, is it made, it's, with it's drift, is of, it made with driftwood? It's made with driftwood and just bits of wood I've found, yeah. So I, I, I wild write, um, and I've written on my books outside, and I can tell you a little bit about that after I've done a reading, but... Um, yeah, I sit in my little cabin, which is kind of this big. Uh-huh. Um, when it's raining, when it's really stormy, and I'll just, I'll, I'm kind of home, but I'm, not, I'm still outside. So I'm still away from phones and computers, so I can still kind of connect. And tell me about all, is this is All the Rivers Run Free. All this Rivers Run Free is my new um, literary fiction with Quercus. I'm known, you know, in, in kind of with my other hat on as young adult as well, and I, I, I write for Bloomsbury with that, so... I was really lucky last year to have two books out, one with both my pub- both my publishers, and the paperbacks this year. So I'm touring with both at the same time, and I'm and I've kind of just created this tour which is called um, Writing the Wild Tour, which means I can kind of talk about both books for any age group, whoever wants me. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm just, this is actually my second to last um, gig on the tour, so I'm really delighted to be Nearing, here today. End, the end is sight. The, the I, know, end is I know sight. I know the feeling I've got. I know, to, uh, I the think uh, we're, we're, uh, <laughs> the award is going to go to one of us, I think, this year. It's probably well, Patrick, Yes, the, the Great West Railway. I know, when I see you on the train, <laughs> I just say, oh, thank God, not me this week. You uh, know, yeah. Well, <laughs> Natasha, yeah. welcome, and we'll look forward to your Hi, reading. okay. So, yeah. just. Okay. <laughs> Well, I'm going to talk about Orvivors One Free today because you're not a young adult audience. So, yeah, this is my new book with Quercus, and this paperback's just come out this year. Um, and it's a Cornish set book. It's set in the north, north Cornwall. I'm a south coast girl. Um, and the story here is about a young girl who's from the south coast of Cornwall, and she, through no fault of her own, ends up in the north coast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's not meant to come out like that, but yeah, she's she's in the North Coast, and she um, her parents have died, so she's living with uh, a cousin, a male cousin who doesn't treat her very well, um, and they live in a caravan on the coast. As you know, there's a lot of social deprivation in Cornwall, as well as 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 you know the, the houses, that cottages or whatever we live in, and so I really wanted to touch on that. Have somebody who's living in a caravan, on the coast. Um, it's not a dystopian tale. I, I call it justopia because, for me, it's kind of it's something that's just happened or just about to happen. Um, kind of where, not where we are at the moment, but we all know if you use your imagination, especially as writers, we see the news and we go a hundred paces and we just think, you know, certain things could stop working, infrastructure could clo- f- shut down for some reason. This book, the Tamar Bridge, does collapse, so we, we, you know, Comor becomes very isolated, and that's that's really where the story. Picks up is this girl, young girl called Aya, who lives on the north coast, and she, her life is is, is kind of a tragic life, and she spends all her time walking the beaches, finding um, things that she can use, beautiful things, shells, things to decorate her caravan. Um, and, and it's, it's the small things really that keep us keep her going, and then where her her story kind of gets going is she finds a child, and this child awakens a memory of her childhood on the south coast so she's a a plan is kind of hatched that she wants to get home to the south coast but because we've got this kind of um this justopia world that she's in she does she goes home on the river tamar so that's why it's all the rivers run free because she she, she's from the north coast from woolly woods which is not actually too far from here and she follows walks the Tamar, and then she starts yeah and then she finds a boat and that's her story so most of the story is actually takes place on the river. Um, I think I'll read the beginning um, just to kind of get you all into the story, and then I'll talk a little bit about wild writing. And if any of you have any questions, because I, I know a lot of people love to talk about wild writing. You know, how many of you are writers here? Any of you writing, or yeah, quite a few. So any of you wild write at all? Get outside, apart from Patrick. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, so yeah, for me, that's what it's all about. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that at the end, about connecting with nature and, it, and how it can really help you as writers, um, especially if you have writer's block and things like that. It gets you away from your screens and gets you out in the wild. So I'm just going to read the first few pages, the first chapter. OK. <laughs> the first time it happened, it was the worst of all times. The young woman told herself it was important not to forget this. The first show of red when it wasn't meant. The first moment she glimpsed a chance at happiness. Since then, it had gotten easier. Familiarity was all. Failure, a used-to thing, another blood drop in the ocean. She stood on the furthest stretch of rocks and bent to the surf to place the tiny raft into the water. Floating in the ebb tide, the bit of meat didn't look like much at all. The kerosene soaked rag made more of it than what... what than what it was. What was it? Not a baby, not life in any recognisable form except it came from life. This was the best she could do. The only part of her she could ever hope to leave the cove. She would set it free with fire and water, same as all the other little creatures that had come before. She would help it evade the grip of that prison place. One strike of match, the flicked flicked flame, spot on, a practice shot, and she returned to the beach, the fire she had lit, and sat to watch the thing, the solitary star, be gone, be burnt and washed. It was better this way, better than leaving a piece of herself in the cold creek ground. Easy come, said Aya, easily another. She didn't mean this. She didn't know what she meant. What else to say, if she was respectable, she would have said something sacred. She wasn't. When the last wink of light flashed out on the horizon, full dark down, she waited for the cove to fill with night, its shackles tight around her, its weight like bog water, until she could no longer breathe. She lay down and searched the sky for stars, kicked her boots into the driftwood flames to make her own. She could hear her heartbeat in her ears. It split the silence, one atom at a time. A little wind, the last of tide water, the ocean taken away. This the only sound, it didn't count. She endured it every day. You'll come back to me, she said. Bring me something for the baby, a gift for a gift. She sat up and put her hands to the fire. It wasn't cold, not yet, but warmth meant small comfort. She caught it and put it into her hoodie pocket, took it with her and she walked the short stretch of sand. She reached the cliff path steps, the short climb without light, knew the place better than she knew herself. When her feet hit the stony ridge, she didn't stop, headed toward home, a quiet place, without hope it would be the quietest. What else to do but go to bed? In the morning, she would forget this night. Like a dream, she would overlook the detail of loss, find a place to put it somewhere less lonely imaginary, gone. The first thing to wash up on the shore next morning was a crate of oranges, just that. Tiny pools of sunlight scattered on the shingle sand. The rock pools spread golden, happy to be tricked into summer. I had watched them come in from the caravan window at the sink. She had been looking at her reflection. The contrasting blonde hair, black eye bruise. She was about to contemplate worse when she saw it a slick of colour being and then split. The oranges were one thing and then a hundred things. She wondered if the dots connected they would reveal their true meaning. She took her first pail of the day, rinsed her mug and wiped the laminate sides like always each morning and kept the spectacle at the corner of her eye for as long as she could bear. This magic thing, this secret moment that had drifted into the bay and Aya watching alone, she was always alone. She stretched to open the window, to smell the fruit and fill the caravan with sweet notes, not the usual sour, and stood with the breeze pressed to her cheeks. This was colour, no paint, no palette could replicate. Thrown against the slate grey sea and the sand, the bastard rocks, it was the sun come down, heaven fallen upon earth. The sea had listened. A hundred gifts for a gift. OK, she said. You remain forever, is a straight swap this life I can do. I won't read you any more <laughs> than that. <laughs> yeah, so um, All Rivers Run Free, I wrote, On the Banks of the River Tamar. Does anyone live near the River Tamar? all North Cornwall? <laughs> Whereabouts? Um, oh yeah, so yeah. You're in here. <laughs> you got to buy it. Uh, it's not the lonson that you, you, you know of, yeah, because it, it's a kind of People have had to um, board up their shop windows and things like that, because it's. And we've got the flooding coming up as well. But Launceston is where she finds the boat, so it, it plays a big part in the story. Um, yeah, but I wrote it on the banks of the River Tamar. I live quite close to Coteel, um, Coteel House, so um, I walked a lot of the river to write this book, the places that I could well, I wasn't kind of trespassing, but Coteel played a great part in reading the story. And for me, while writing is about connecting with your setting and it's about connecting with your characters and there was a moment when I was writing this book and I was sitting on the banks of the Tamar at Coteel and it was pouring rain and the rain was in my eyes and it was you know I just think god I'm mad what am I I actually doing (laughs) you know and I could there was a moment where I could see my character out in her boat and everything that she's been through that you can guess you know And, and and I looked across at her and she and I could see her looking across at me with the rain in her eyes and freezing cold. And, and that's when I really kind of connected with her in that first edit when I was writing um, longhand, in the freezing cold, in the rain. And I thought, yeah, this is, this is my character. And that's, that's, that for me is what r- wild writing is about, is connecting with your characters and connecting with your setting. Because it's so easy to, especially when you're, you've got ideas and you're sitting at your computer or your phone and you're putting ideas down, you might forget that initial, that, that nugget that you first had. Um, when you're out walking, I'm sure loads of you would go out walking and you, you get an idea and you can lose it so easily. And it's so, it, you know, the brilliance about writing outdoors is you can get back into that mindset really quickly by revisiting that first place where you had that, that idea. Um, and I do, I do a lot of workshops, uh, world writing workshops, um, and I help people to connect with their, with, their, with, with, with their inner writer. And I do sensory work because there's nothing like being outside when you work. With, your, with all your senses come alive when you're outside. Because we spend our lives in front of screens, in front of tellies, in front of computers, in front of phones. Even if you're in, a, in your office or your study, you're staring out of a window and that is still a screen. And, it, and, and so what I like people to try to do is, is to just get outside, leave your phone behind, leave your notes behind, and just get writing. And it does really help for people who might have writer's, writer's block. Even if you're not working on something, you can get your best ideas by writing out of doors and and working in situations where you might never have been before. You mean you can you can write wild writing cities, of course, you can you do it anywhere and everywhere. And that's the brilliance of it really. So anyone have got any questions about wild writing? Any other writers or anyone? Come on. Yes. <laughs> Pencil is a good one. Um yeah and and. and uh, Umbrella or a bit of tarpaulin, like I sometimes write in in woods, and you can get them really cheap, like you know, off the internet, whatever, a couple of quid, and you can just tie them up, yeah, in a couple of trees, yeah, absolutely, and pencil, because then you can, yeah, you don't get all kind of smeary, yeah, and waterproof (laughs) trousers, waterproof trousers, Uh, yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. If you're writing for children and writing for adults, yeah, uh, presumably you do both in in wild writing, Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I do you find yourself in a different frame of mind? No, no, not at all. Because I, I write for young adults, so it's quite, it's, it's kind of a, the crossover is quite, they're quite close. I mean, for a young adult, really, like I always just say, I take the swearing out and, and, and then you're good to go, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> because, yeah, but I mean, young adult, it, it, it depends. You've got your editors anyway for, but for me, I don't write purely for, because a lot of adults like my young adult as well, so. I just write for me and I write for my heart. And then, and then y- 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 you know, it might be kind of the story might be kind of the dystopian thing, the dystopian, a little bit more for the young adult because they love that. You know, they love the kind of the end of the world coming more than, you know, to them it's still expects it's still exciting, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much for the adults, but yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Hi. Yeah. When you get home, into your. <laughs> into my cap, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what happens then? I mean, do you, do you change things a lot? No, I keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I write quite fast, so I keep going, I keep going, I keep going. I've got my notes, and I obviously have, you know, my uh, kind of a chapter overview kind of thing, but I keep going. I know what I've written, and I some I, I like to kind of end, I don't just end on a chapter, I like to finish writing for the day starting the beginning of the next chapter, because then. You're kind of straight into it. You haven't got that pressure of I'm writing a new chapter. I'm, do you know what I mean? I don't know how many writers do that, but for me, that's it. It, it speeds up the process. So I don't really re- revisit until I'm um, have my first draft written, and then it's time to sit in at a computer and type it up. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just, yeah, I'm doing that at the moment with my new book, and I'm just, yeah, it's lovely to be out and about <laughs> 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 with real people, yeah. Natasha, thank you so much. And will you all please thank not just Natasha, but also Paul Fiddy's, Jean Thomas, and Mary J. Oliver.